Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Hello. Good morning. This morning, um, I'm Janet, and well, I'm Janet all the time, but this morning I will read to you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) This morning I'm going to read the Bible to you with my daughter Ariana and my youngest daughter Evangelina, and Ariana's going to start us off. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear the neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. <coughs> if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What does it mean to be a true Aussie? I wonder what comes to mind when you think of a true Australian. Now, maybe you've got a picture in your mind of what a true Aussie looks like, or or at least what you think they should look like. Maybe to you, a true Aussie is, is someone who spends every avo down at the pub wearing singlet and thongs, talking about sport. Or maybe a true Aussie to you is someone with a she'll be right kind of attitude about life. Now, imagine if I was to stand up here today and declare to all of you that I'm the true Australian. None of you are as Aussie as me. It'd be pretty shocking, wouldn't it? I'm sure I'd offend most of you and I'd probably never be invited back here to preach again. Well, in our passage today in John 15, Jesus makes a claim that's even more shocking than that, even more offensive. Are you ready for it? Jesus says, I'm the true vine. Now, these words actually don't sound that offensive to us, do they? They're pretty harmless, aren't they? They certainly don't sound offensive, and while these words might not offend you, it was a pretty scandalous thing for Jesus to say. 
And that's why I thought it'd be cool for us to take a look at these words today, to see what Jesus really means when He says, I am the true vine. And to see what kind of impact these words have on us, even today. But before we dig deeper into these words, why don't we pray together? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that when we read Your Bible, You speak to us. We thank You for this privilege this morning that You have spoken to us and that You continue to speak to us now. We ask that You would help us to understand more of who Jesus is as He tells us that He is the true vine. Help us to understand this so that we might live for His glory. And we ask these things in His name. Amen. Before we get to our passage today in John 15, I, I want to tell you a story. And it, it's, it's a story that happened thousands of years before Jesus uh, was born here on this earth. Uh, but this story does help, uh, help uh, to set up what Jesus is talking about today. And it's a well-known story. Uh, it's from the Old Testament, from Exodus chapter 3. And it's one of my favourite stories from, from the Old Testament. And I'm sure you're familiar with it too. This is what happened. One day... God's humble servant, Moses, is walking along the mountainside uh, when suddenly he sees a bush and it's on fire. But even though the bush is on fire, none of its leaves or branches are actually burning. It's super weird. Then all of a sudden, God appears. Like that's meant to make it less weird. So as God and Moses are hanging out on, on the side of this mountain, they, they have a bit of a chat. And Moses asks God, you know that question that we're all taught to ask when we meet someone we've never met? Hey, what's your name? What's your name? If my people, the Israelites, ask me what your name is, what should I tell them? And then God famously answers Moses. Tell them, I am who I am. Tell the Israelites, I am has sent you. The name that God gives Himself is I Am. It's such a a simple phrase, isn't it? Yet it says so much about the character of God, doesn't it? No one else can make such a claim except God. None of us can just say that I am who I am, because we all have a beginning and we all have an end. We all have a family name, a place where we come from. We didn't just happen to exist. But not God. Because God is the beginning. God is the end. He doesn't have a family name because He was never born. He just is. I am who I am, God says. And no one else in history can claim to go by the name I am. Because no one else can ever claim to be the great I am. Well, that is until we come to the New Testament. When John wrote his gospel account of Jesus, he was careful to record not once, but at least seven times, Jesus claimed to be the great I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. No less than seven times does John record Jesus' claim to be the great I am. And it's no accident that John does this, because John wants his readers to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. That all of God's eternal power dwells 
in Jesus. That Jesus, like his heavenly Father, is the beginning and the end. He existed long before his earthly birth and he exists long after his earthly death. He has no beginning, he has no end. Jesus is eternal. But that's not all John wants us to know about Jesus because each time Jesus says, I am, he follows it with another statement, a further truth of who he is and what he's come to do. And here in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. These are the first words of our passage today. So let's start by thinking about what the Son of God means when he says, I am the true vine. Because to me, it seems like a pretty odd way to start a story. So what's he teaching us? Well, you'll be pleased to know that from this passage, Jesus isn't just saying he's some dirty old plant. No, what he's saying is it's much bigger than that. As Jesus stands here in front of his disciples and says, I am the true vine, he's actually saying to them, I am the true Israel. I am the true Israel. And, and his disciples, they get the metaphor. They understand what Jesus is talking about. Now, Australia Day is one of uh, the ways that we celebrate national pride, isn't it? Uh, if you flick on the news on Australia Day, you see lots of symbols that represent our country. A lot of images that represent who we are as a nation. Symbols like the, the green and gold flag of the boxing kangaroo. Or people wearing thongs and bodies. Or people cooking snags on the barbie. All of these things are symbols that we associate with Australia. They're images that represent our country. Well, the Israelites in Jesus' day, they also have an image for their country, a symbol that represents their national pride. And, and it's not a flag, it's not the sandals they wear, and it's certainly not the high priests cooking lamb sausages using the leftovers from that daily sacrifice. No, it's none of those things. Instead, it's an image that's carved into their coins. An image that's embroidered into the curtains with gold all around the temple. What's the image? What's Israel's symbol? It's the image of a vine bearing fruit. The symbol for the nation of Israel is the vine. Now why is this? We see all throughout the Old Testament, through the Psalms and the Prophets, God's nation, the kingdom of Israel, is described as a vine or a vineyard. The picture of the vine is associated with the kingdom of Israel, and every Israelite knows that. In the other gospel accounts, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus actually tells another story, a parable, known as the parable of the tenants, which describes God's relationship with the kingdom of Israel. And you'd never guess what symbol Jesus uses in this story. That's right. It's a vineyard. A vineyard. He refers to in Israel as a vineyard. And this, this is how the story goes. So a landowner, that's God, builds a vineyard. That's the kingdom of Israel. The landowner then rents the vineyard to some tenants to take care of the vineyard while he's away. And these, these tenants, they're the religious leaders of Israel religious leaders who God has put in charge to take care of his kingdom. Now, while the landowner is away, he sends some of his servants to collect fruit from the tenants. 
these servants are God's prophets, people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, and even John the Baptist. But when each of these servants arrive, the tenants beat them up and send them away empty-handed. That is, the religious leaders who God's put in charge reject God's faithful servants. They ignore God's prophets. So what does God do? Well, in the parable, Jesus says that the landowner only has one person left to send to the tenants, and it's his son. It's God's son. It's Jesus. Jesus says he's the last one left for God to send. And what do the tenants do with Jesus? Well, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says this. Mark chapter 12, verse 6, Jesus says, The landowner had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And then verse 9, What then will the owners of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So Jesus will be killed. He'll be rejected by the religious leaders, disowned by Israel and killed. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story because as Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 9, the landowner will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. God will kill those who reject Jesus. But for anyone who accepts Jesus, they will become part of the new kingdom. The vineyard will be given to them. Because although Jesus dies, he comes back to life after three days. And anyone who trusts in Jesus' death and resurrection, anyone who puts their trust in the true vine, becomes part of God's new kingdom. God's kingdom belongs to you when you put your trust in His Son, Jesus. In our passage today, in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the new and true Israel. God's kingdom is now found in me. Life with God is found nowhere else. So in this metaphor, Jesus is saying that He's the true vine. God's kingdom is found nowhere else but in Him. But, but what's God's role in this metaphor? Well, Jesus says, God's the gardener. God's the gardener. Let's read again from verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father's the gardener. It's God's job to ensure nothing hinders the life of the vine. Now, a few years ago, I used to work as a nursery hand at a palm nursery, a, a, a place that grows palm trees. Thrilling. On average, uh, this nursery stocks somewhere between 50 to 100,000 plants, and each week, big trucks would, would come in and, and collect bulk orders of, of plants to, to ship off elsewhere around the country. So each week, we had the job of selecting the best, most healthy-looking plants from the nursery to get them ready uh, to send them away with the trucks. Uh, once the plants were selected, we'd begin the process of cleaning those plants, first by removing any weeds that might be in the pots, 
Second, by trimming back any dead branches or leaves on the plants. And then third, cutting off any branch that looked like it was infected with bugs, grubs or disease. It was our job to make sure the plants that we were selling and shipping off were in pristine condition so that our customers would get the best of the best. You know, what Jesus is saying here in these first few verses is a bit like this. See, God the gardener has a plant, and it's his son, it's Jesus. And growing from that plant are the branches, people who trust in Jesus and live with him as their king. Now, it's God's job to take care of that plant, to make sure there are no weeds growing around his vine, to make sure the dead, withered branches aren't making his vine look untidy, and to make sure that any branch that's been infected with grubs or disease are either cleaned or removed so that the whole vine doesn't become infected. God's wanting to make his vine, branches and all, look pristine. And he's tending to it with the utmost care to ensure that it lasts forever, to make sure nothing hinders or kills his vine. Do you remember those tenants that Jesus referred to earlier in the parable? The religious leaders who were, who were beating up the servants and making a mess of the vineyard. Well, these are the kinds of people God's going to cut off from his vine. He's going to cut off people who aren't in it for Jesus, but are just in it for themselves and leading people astray. In other words, false teachers. Leaders who don't teach that Jesus is Lord. God's wanting to make sure nothing hinders or kills his plant. And false teachers don't belong in his kingdom. They hinder the growth of the vine, and Jesus says, God will cut them off. Now, that's a pretty serious warning, isn't it? If you're in any kind of teaching role in the church, it's seriously worth asking yourself, am I leading people faithfully? Am I teaching the gospel in truth? Or am I just doing this to make myself look good? And it's incredibly important that you ask yourselves those questions. See, those religious leaders that God put in charge to teach his people, they were the ones who wanted the Son of God dead. They were the ones who refused to let God be in charge and instead had him nailed to the cross. God will cut those kinds of people from his vine. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. God's kingdom's found in me. My father's the gardener. It's God's job to ensure that nothing hinders the life of the vine. And it's these massive truths that help us understand what Jesus goes on to say in the rest of the passage. That's, that's why we haven't moved past the first two verses yet. Because we need to get what Jesus is saying here. It sets up everything that follows as we're about to see. Because the next big truth that Jesus says is you're the branches. I'm the true vine, my father's the gardener, you're the branches. Let's read from verse 3. Verse 3, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus is saying, you're the branches. And, and he's talking to his disciples here, to 12 ragtag nobodies from across Judea. He's saying, I'm the true vine, God's the gardener, and you 12, you're my branches. And remember in the parable of the tenants, when Jesus said he was going to get rid of the tenants, those religious leaders, and give the vineyard to others? Well, these 12 disciples, these 12 nobodies, are the ones that Jesus is now going to give his kingdom to. And this handing over of the vineyard is another picture of Jesus as the true Israel. See, in the Old Testament, Abraham's grandson, so you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons of his own. And these 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And these 12 tribes end up inheriting the promised land, that, that land that God had promised to Abraham's descendants. So just as these 12 tribes inherit the promised land and make up the nation of Israel, well, so too do Jesus' 12 disciples inherit the kingdom of God and make up the new Israel. It's yet another image of Jesus as the true Israel. The one whose sons, in this case born by the Spirit, who will inherit the land promised to him by his father. I am the true vine, Jesus says. My father's the gardener and you're the branches. He's saying to his disciples that the vineyard's been given to them. And they're not just to be servants in the vineyard, not even to be tenants. No, they're, they're now a living part of the true vine. They're his branches. There's a real intimacy between them and Jesus. What belongs to Jesus belongs to them. But only so long as they remain in him. Only so long as they remain in him. Did you notice how often in this passage Jesus calls his disciples to remain in him? He repeats this phrase over and over and over and over and over and over because the temptation to fall away from Jesus is all too real. And the temptation's even there among his 12 disciples. We know that Judas betrays Jesus. Peter denies Jesus three times. And many of the other disciples run and hide when times get tough around Jesus' arrest. Jesus knows his followers will be tempted to fall away. That's why he calls them again and again to remain in him. He also warns them of what will happen to them if they don't remain in him. Take a look at what Jesus says in verse 6. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. It's a real warning for his disciples that if they don't remain in Jesus, they'll be severed from the vine. The gardener will cut them off and throw them away, wasted, forever disconnected from the true Israel, forever disconnected from the kingdom of God. 
So what does remaining in Jesus look like for the disciples? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 5. He says, If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. For the disciples who remain in Jesus, who trust in Jesus and live with him as Lord, they go on to bear fruit. And Jesus says in verse 8 that this bearing of fruit is the mark of a disciple. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus is uh, calling his disciples to remain in him and to bear fruit. But, but what does Jesus mean to bear fruit? Well, we know that the, it's, it's the disciples who were the first to go and preach the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. They go out and preach that Jesus is Lord to all nations. And it's through this preaching and proclamation of the gospel that other people from all nations come to be part of God's eternal family. That is, whenever a person hears and accepts the good news that Jesus is Lord, that person is grafted into the vine. That person becomes a branch on the true vine. They become a citizen of the new Israel, a citizen of heaven. And in turn, these new branches bear fruit by proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Lord. So a branch is a person who is a disciple of Jesus, one who remains by trusting in Jesus, and one who proclaims Jesus as Lord, bearing good fruit for the vine. So today we've heard uh, that Jesus make three pretty massive theological claims, haven't we? He says, I am the true vine. I am the true Israel. My father's the gardener. God's going to get rid of anyone who opposes me. And you are the branches. My 12 disciples will now become the heads of the 12 new tribes of Israel. And they're the ones who will spread the good news about me when I'm gone. Now, I said when we started earlier that not only will we see how offensive these words are for Jesus to say, but I... I I also said that we'd see the kind of impact that these words have on us today. So what impact do these claims have on you? Well, there's three ways that this passage impacts you. Number one, Jesus does what you can't do. Jesus does what you can't do. When Jesus claims to be the true vine, the true Israel, he's making the point that he's come to fulfill everything to fulfill everything that Israel failed to do. Christian filmmaker Dan Stevers has a, has a video online called True and Better, which tells of how every character in the Bible points towards Jesus, who's greater, who's true, and who's better. It tells of how Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave his home and family, to go out into the void to create a new people of God. How Jesus is the true and better Isaac, the son of laughter and grace, who was not only offered up by his father on the mountain, but who was truly sacrificed for us all. How Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed him and sold him and uses his new power to save them. How Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. How Jesus is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb. 
And the New Testament testifies to all of these things. Again and again and again in the New Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills everything the Israelites failed to do. He becomes the Israel that Israel failed to be. But more than that, Jesus becomes the man that every man, woman and child fails to be. Jesus has lived the life that each of us were meant to live. In complete sinless obedience to God. And he's died the death that each of us deserve to die because of our sins, because of our rebellion towards God. Jesus takes our place in death and makes it possible for us to live forever with God. Only Jesus does what you can't do. And he does it so that you can live forever with God. And he actually tells us today in in this passage, at the end of verse 5, he says, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's only when we're connected to the true vine, that when we're connected to the one who's done it all, who's fulfilled it all, that we're able to do anything worthwhile. So that's the first way that this passage impacts you. Jesus does what you can't do. And the second way this passage impacts you is, number two, if, if you reject Jesus, God will reject you. Now, while it's, ec- it's excellent news that we can have life forever with God through accepting Jesus, Jesus warns us in this passage that if we reject Jesus, we'll be cut off from God forever. You see, the only way that you're accepted into God's kingdom is through trusting in Jesus. Trusting that Jesus' death was enough to pay the price for your sins. Since God had to give up His only Son and witness Him being crucified by us, you can expect God's going to take it very seriously if you turn to Him and say, Jesus doesn't matter to me. God the gardener will cut you off from the vine if you reject his son, Jesus. You'll be cut off from the kingdom of God, and God is very serious about that. And so that's the second way that this passage impacts you. Jesus does what you can't do, so if you reject Jesus, God will reject you. The third and final way this passage impacts you today, number three, Be a branch that remains. From the moment that you hear the gospel message and accept it, you become a living branch on the true vine. So be a branch that remains. Jesus doesn't say it eight times for you to gloss over it. Remain in Him. Remain in Him. See, the picture of the vine isn't one where the branches just simply shoot out from the stem. No, if you've ever looked at a vine, you'll, you'll see that vines and their branches, they wrap around each other. They tangle. They intertwine. The picture here is that Jesus has wrapped himself around you. And you are wrapped around Jesus. You are intimately connected to him in every way. He knows you. He's with you. And because of the gospel... You can know Him and be with Him too. 
intimately connected to each other. Remaining as a branch means remaining connected to the true vine. And as long as you're connected to the true vine, what belongs to Jesus belongs to you. So be a branch that remains. While these these words were shocking when Jesus said them, and while they may not offend you, they do have an enormous impact on who you are and why you're here. Jesus does what you can't do. And if you reject Jesus, God will reject you. So be a branch that remains. I am the true vine, Jesus says. My father's the gardener, you're the branches. Remain in me, and you shall remain in God's eternal kingdom forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for these words this morning. We praise you for who Jesus is, that he is the true vine, the true Israel, the one who came to do everything that we failed to do. We thank you so much for who Jesus is. We thank you that through trusting in in his death and resurrection in our place, that we become branches on this true vine, that we become intimately connected with him. I pray for all of us here that we would trust and accept this wonderful news that Jesus is Lord, that your son died the death that we were meant to die in our place. But more than that, Father, I pray that you would help us who trust in this good news to remain connected to Jesus. Help us to remain connected to our true vine. Father, we pray too that you would help us as branches on your true vine to bear good fruit, to proclaim this wonderful news, to not keep it to ourselves, but to proclaim the good news that Jesus died in our place and has risen, that he is our risen King and Saviour. We thank you for all of these things and we pray these things in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.